0: And while you're sitting, let me just encourage you to grab your Bible, uh, because there's going to be a few times when the the text that we're looking at will not be on the screen, but you want to have it in front of you. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to just take you back a few years. Those of you guys born before 2000 may not even know this movie existed, but in 1994, Tom Hanks starred in what was arguably a life-changing movie for a lot of people, Arguably, maybe not. I don't know. But the movie is a, is a story of a boy in the South who had special needs. He was a little bit slow. His name was Forrest Gump, and the movie chronicles Forrest's life as a school-aged boy and then as a young adult, a man who served in, in a war overseas, and then as a, as a man who grew older. And one of the common threads throughout the movie was running. As a boy, some kids were bullying Forrest, as boys tend to do, and began throwing rocks at him. And Forrest's best friend simply yelled, run, Forrest, run. The problem is Forrest had braces on his legs. And so he's hobbling around trying to get away in the way that movies make things just so fantastic. As he's running, he gets stronger and stronger and his braces shatter into a million pieces and he just starts running and he's super fast. And one one man in a local town said, boy, that boy is running. But later on, Forrest would continue to run from a variety of circumstances. He would run away because running away was what he could. he learned how to do well. In fact, after one... Extremely disappointing and frustrating moment in his life. He started running and that running lasted not days, not weeks, not months. It lasted years. At least as the movie would have us believe. In fact, he ran so much the way the story goes. He would run and when he got tired, he would sleep and he'd get up and start running again. He, when he got hungry, he would eat and he'd get up and start running. And he, he, As he was running, his beard grew big and full like I wish I could get mine to, but I can't stand the itchiness. Um, But he just kept running and people started following him and they started wondering, man, what is this guy Forrest like? And so he would make comments in front of news people and he would comment about certain things in life. And people thought he was some running religious guru. Until all at once, one day he decided he was done running. He was in the middle of the desert in the in the southwest and he just decided I'm done. He started walking home. And people were puzzled. They thought, why, Forrest, would you run and run and run for no reason and then just be done? The spiritual movement that they thought he had started simply faded in an instant. In that moment when he said, I'm done. I'm going home. And there are times when it may seem like people are following people that we are following may be running aimlessly. We saw this a bit last week as we considered the heroes of the faith and these people who who dealt with difficult circumstances as they ran the race of the faith and yet the writer of Hebrews is saying, follow their example and run after them because they ran based on the promises that God had given them. They trusted God through it all. And in light of the challenge the writer of Hebrews gave us to follow the faithful here in Hebrews chapter 12. We get a clear call to run the race, to run the race. And if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to Hebrews chapter 12. Carolyn already read some of this. And so we're going to read it and review it and kind of ponder some of the things that he is saying here. But he tells us to run the race in Hebrews 12:1, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And sin, which clings so closely. We considered Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 back in January. And I don't want to rehash all of that. But I want us just to think about a couple of things. First of all, that, that great cloud of witnesses. I've got to be honest. So often as I've studied this, I kept thinking about it as people up in the clouds watching us. Or people all around us watching us. That's kind of how I would read it. I mean, that's, it's at, at first glance in English, that's what it looks like. But in Greek, the word that is used there is not watching witnesses, but testifying witnesses. Think of a court case. These people are standing up saying, I solemnly swear that God is faithful and here's how it lived out in my life. That kind of witness is the witness that we have before us in Hebrews 11 they ran the race and they call us to follow but secondly that verse Hebrews 12:1 says let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and in order to effectively run this race there will be some removal there will be things that we have to take We're going to consider this again in a few minutes, but I do think it's important to remember or to think about what are these weights? What are these things that are holding on to it that we're clinging to? There are times when we would use weights for training. I remember when Zach was running cross country and he would put ankle weights on his legs so that he would run really well, so he would get stronger. And so he would, you wouldn't do that? I'm imagining other people then. Just go with me. So people, imagine imagine putting ankle weights on and you're running, not the race, but you're running to train. And so you're going to get stronger. You're going to get bigger and faster. Or you're going to put stuff on your arms if you're going to be boxing and things like that. But when you're in the fight, when you're in the real race, you're going to take those things off. You're going to remove those in order that you might run faster. There are times when weights can be used for training, but we certainly don't want to run the race and be down, bogged down by that. But I think for us, this could sometimes include possessions, stuff, these things that we work so hard in our lives to accumulate. Stuff that just, when we're gone, it becomes meaningless. But there's also this phrase, the sin which clings so closely Some translations call that besetting sin. Like besetting? We don't speak like that. What is besetting sin? And these are the the fact is these are sins that you and I struggle with independently. You I have struggles that are different from yours, but they each kind of beset us, they entangle us differently. And we could think of this like running a race with your shoes tied together. We're not going to get very far if we have these sins besetting us the charge that we have to run the race includes this call to drop the excess weight and and distractions and free up ourselves from a life of sin but there's some other things you see we are called to run this race because the race is ordained by god the race is ordained by God. The, look at what it uh, continues in the opening verse, Hebrews 12, 1. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have to recognize that this race, however long God allows us to run it, is a race that is set. And I believe it is set by God, the writer of Hebrews, doesn't include that here. He doesn't say the race that God put in front of you. But it it encapsulates every part of what I believe the writer of Hebrews was getting to. Being the sovereign God of the universe, he knows every obstacle that you and I will encounter. He knows every hurdle that you'll have to overcome. He knows every struggle that you and I will face. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 139 says, You saw me before I was born. And look at this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And I hope that gives us confidence and joy, knowing that God is fully aware of every encounter. We may not like them. But we can find confidence in knowing that God is allowing these encounters for a reason. As you may remember, we've been praying for Danielle's sister for months. If if you don't know, she had a brain tumor that was removed in July. And the surgery went well. The tumor came out cleanly. In fact, she came home just a few days later. And then nausea and dizziness and all sorts of other things, headaches began to come back in. And so she was admitted back to the hospital for the next eight weeks. She was basically in and out of ICU. Not something that you would expect of anyone, much less a person who was 47 years old. And she was finally home. She came home earlier this month. But she's still fighting the nausea. She still can't see. One eye doesn't line up with the other one. So she has double vision, which makes her even more nauseous. But she's getting stronger and she's gradually walking um, better. But I have been so encouraged by Danielle and Teresa's dad, my father-in-law, as his trust in the sovereign plan of God for Teresa has been unwavering. He has never doubted that God allowed her to encounter this for a reason. For her benefit, for the benefit of her immediate family, for the benefit of her extended family, for the benefit of the hundred or so people that he is constantly sending email updates out to all over the world. So that they would know that God is still in control. We may want a full and quick recovery, but we can't. But we can find confidence in knowing that God is up to something. And he is working his perfect will in Teresa's life. And in the lives of those who are near her. We might not like some of the elements of this race that has been set before us. We may not like all the things that we you, you struggle with. I, I know I don't like the things I struggle with. I don't like the... Abilities or inabilities that I have, but we can rejoice in knowing that it is God who set it for a reason So we have to run the race that God has set before us But secondly, we should run the race because jesus ran the race For us. Hebrews 12 2 to 3 says looking to jesus The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. You know, there are some people, have you ever noticed, there are some people who just love pain. They love to tell you how bad life is, how horrible their day has been, how bad their week has been. They just love to be in misery. And i got to tell you, Jesus isn't one of those guys. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he endured the cross that we deserved, not him. When he died on that shameful cross, he died a criminal's death, a death, again, that he did not deserve because he lived a perfect life. He despised, or, or literally, he looked down on the shame that was cast upon him. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that their culture, the culture of these first century Jewish background believers was very much an honor shame culture. And so you did things, you made certain decisions in order that you might honor your family or your community. And if you stepped outside of what was honorable, you would be shamed until you complied. Well, Jesus Even with all the shame, as he's there on the cross, as his arms and feet are being nailed to this cross, as his head is bleeding with this crown of thorns, he's looking down on, he's despising the shame and considering with joy the privilege that God had placed before him to bear our sin. His momentary pain brings life to us all. And I think we can and should be encouraged by that his substitutionary death should encourage us to press on to run the race well to finish well so we should run the race that god has ordained for us because jesus has already run the crucial elements for us and next we should run it even though the training is difficult if you've ever spent time training for a big event you know there's pain Athletes will change their diets and will engage in vigorous fitness routines in order to prepare their bodies for the contest. I loved years ago watching the movie The Miracle, the story about the 1980 American Olympic hockey team, right? As as this team of college hockey players pulled together to become a one team. And one of the things that that um, their coach did is that he did. Challenged them. He caused them to run and to train better and better. They got faster and they worked harder. They did all these things. They beat down their bodies so that they could be the best. And in being the best, they were still the underdogs, but yet in 1980, they beat the world reigning Russian hockey team. I also loved watching movies like Rocky. And you know how it goes. Movies are fun this way. They make light of it. But you know, he gets to that point of crisis and the music changes and he begins to, begins to train. He begins to run faster. Da, 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 da. Right? And you, you're just the emotions get into it because he's overcoming something. Movies make it feel like it's easy and quick. and Yeah. We want to watch those on new year's eve in order to motivate us to lose weight january 1st or 2nd after all the football parties but in our lives our training or our discipline will be difficult but it will be worth it Here, here's a couple things i want us to think through and one is that we can run through the training because we know that god is loving us as his children hebrews twelve seven to 8 says it is for discipline that you have to endure for God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The discipline that we endure is a discipline. There's a demonstration of God's love. And it's so weird to think about it like this. I mean, kids think about it. Do you enjoy when your parents discipline you? Not really. Not really. But it's a demonstration of their love for you that, so that you will not make that mistake again. But what does this discipline look like from God? You know, the writer of Hebrews doesn't give us that insight. He doesn't, help, uh, he doesn't show us exactly what they're going through. But we know from elsewhere in the book that his audience was experiencing persecution and pressure to return to the old ways. And we can also understand that sometimes our training or discipline might look like sickness. It might look like financial struggles. It might look like disappointment that that job that you wanted didn't come through. It might look like that failed relationship. All of those things are designed to make us holy. Here's the second thing I want us to think about, and that is that we can run through the difficult training because the outcome will be holiness. The outcome is making us more holy. The process is making us more holy. Hebrews 12, 9-11 says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father... of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness by those who have been trained by it so just as an earthly father will discipline us so God, so too God does that for us purging sin but also strengthening us remember the writer of hebrews has said you want to lay aside every weight take off those excess things so that's that's the training part of discipline but there's also that correcting part of discipline that purging of sin from our lives and god in the discipline in the training that he allows us to encounter is really dealing with both of those in us And while there are some things that God is doing, the writer of Hebrews gives us some encouragement for actions. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, I I want you to look, starting in verse 12. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 12 through 17. And I want to read a section and I want to comment as we go through it. Beginning in verse 12, it says therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be here be healed you see here what's happening is he's going back and he's referencing passages from isaiah and jeremiah when but the challenge is when difficult times come it's easy for us to play the victim it's easy for us to feign helplessness and say oh God, my life is so difficult. My life is so challenging. I'm just going to give up. Let me lay in bed. Let me cover my head over with my covers and just cry. And he's, he's challenging us here to know, strengthen those weak knees. Lift your drooping head. Stand tall and keep moving. And then he continues. Look at what he says next. He says, strive for peace. With everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. See, the challenge is we ultimately won't be at peace with everyone. Because ultimately for peace to happen, two people have to agree. And if one of, only one of them is striving for peace, the other one can be just moving away, doing whatever. So it's up to us to strive to be at peace with everyone. Even those who have caused us pain. Even those who have caused us disappointment and hurt. And then he continues. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, this side of eternity, we won't ever be completely holy. But we should continue to strive for it. We should aim for holiness. Purging those things from us that compromise our witness things like bitter divisions or needless arguments as he continues see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble for by it many have become defiled or allowing things like sexual immorality to get in the way he continues let no one that no one is who no one is sexually immoral or unholy Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. see, as believers, allowing things like divisions and bitterness and immorality, unholiness... They open up doors for controversy. They open up doors for weakness in our witness. And we run the risk of destroying that witness in the world. But I want to encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want you to understand that there will be one day a point of no return. Esau made a decision and he gave up something and he willingly chose to give up his great inheritance, his birthright, which back in the day, if, if you know, he had one brother. And so essentially the inheritance would be divided among three. So he would get a two part inheritance and his brother would get one. Well, he sold his birthright. So now it's switched. And he could never get that back. He, there was a point in which he could not return to that which he gave up. And I want to encourage you, there will come a time when you, when that call from the Lord to come and repent and, and come to him, that day may be past. There may not be another day to come to the Lord. So I want to encourage you, come today. But there is one final reason that the writer of Hebrews urges us to run this race. And that is because the purpose is un. Unshakable, the purpose is unshakable. I've been hearing and reading about all sorts of advertisements about races. You know, there's a Marine Corps Marathon. There's this Orchard Run, which is here in Montgomery County that supports some local ministries. There's uh, things like the Alexandria Turkey Trot, running five miles on Thanksgiving morning so you can eat in all the calories that you just exerted running. But all of these races offer achievement and prizes and even participation awards. But ultimately, think about this all of those things that we might run toward will fade. The medal will tarnish. The t shirt will be disintegrated, eaten by moths. We might not even get to run those races in person. In fact, the Marine Corps marathon this year was run virtually, you could run it anywhere not really much of a race if you're running all by yourself. But the race that we run in the kingdom of God is an eternal race because the kingdom of God is an unshakable kingdom. There is nothing like COVID. There's nothing like wars. There's nothing like anything else that will cause the kingdom of God to be shaken. And in this longer section, one of the things that the writer of Hebrews does is he takes them back for a moment. And, he, and he, he says, I want you to see two mountains. The first mountain is Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, this is the place where, where Moses received the law. This is the place where God gave the Ten Commandments to the people. This is the place where God gave the covenant. But in the way that it was delivered, if you remember back in Exodus, that mountain was covered with a cloud and there was lightning and there was thunder and it was very stormy and tumultuous. And, and it invoked fear among the people of Israel. In fact, they had to stay away. There was a sense of, of holiness. It was something different. I can't touch that. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews saying, that's what was. But he's saying, you now have been called to this other mountain, this Mount Zion. And this is not a mountain of fear. This is not a mountain of, of separation. But this is a mountain of welcome and gathering. And acceptance because of what Jesus has done. Look at what it says in verses 22 to 24. He said that you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks better speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Because Jesus has mediated this permanent eternal covenant, we are welcomed into his assembly. Into the Zion, the city of God. As we talked about it last week, we don't have to perform. We don't have to earn our place. Jesus Christ has already earned that for us. We just have to receive it by faith. And then the writer of Hebrews concludes this section and really this chapter by by stating in verses 28 and 29, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Because of Jesus, we are welcomed into this unshakable kingdom. And our response then is grateful worship and faithful living. But, but then it really begs the question, what is acceptable worship? Because if you remember, under the old law, old law, they had to provide certain animals. They had to be perfect. They had to be without blemish. They had to be the first fruits. The writer tells us here that we should have reverence and awe accompanying our worship. And I wonder how often does that accompany our worship here? Do we have a proper reverence and awe for who God is? Or do we come to Him casually? And it's so easy to do that. But this acceptable worship also involves living a life That is faithful, a faithful living. And next week we're going to get into that a little bit more. But as we close, I want you to imagine something with me. You see, there are some people who, if you think about it, the, the, the book of Hebrews gets categorized as an epistle or a letter, an extended letter. But I want you to imagine a courtroom for just a moment. Because if you think about it, some, some would say that rather than being a letter, this extended, this 13-chapter book is really an extended sermon or a speech or a, or a rhetorical argument, trying to get people to think about something. And so I want you to think about, not so, think about this not so much like a letter that's being written and then read among a, a, a group of people, but I want you to think about it in, in light of a courtroom. The writer of Hebrews is the attorney and he's making his closing argument. He's making his argument to us, his readers, the jury. And he started the book with this great and bold claim that Jesus is greater. He started, he laid it out right at the beginning. We saw that a few weeks ago. He said, Jesus is greater. There's nothing that compare can compare to him. And so then he continued, he says, I, I know you have concerns and I know you're thinking about all these things and you think, well, well, we have the angels who gave the Torah or the law to Moses. We have these things written down on tablets that have now crumbled to dust, but we have those laws written down and we seek to obey those things. But the writer of Hebrews saying, no, Jesus is greater than even the angels and the Torah because they were messengers of God. But he has direct access to God. He is God himself. And then as if that wasn't enough, he said, Jesus is also greater than Moses. Moses, oh, but Moses led us to the promised land. Moses led us right up to the gate. Moses Moses brought us to this place. He said, but Jesus is leading us to a promised land that is unlike anything that Moses could have done. So we could say that Evidence number two, I'm not a lawyer, I've never played one on TV, but evidence number one is that Jesus is greater than the angels in the Torah. Number two, Jesus is greater than Moses. And then because Moses brought the law, brought the Levitical covenant, he, com- he con- continues and he said, Jesus is greater than every priest. He's a different kind of priest. He's outside of that. Remember, he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He doesn't even follow the Aaronic line, the, the line that all the priests came from. He was able to offer, like every good priest, he was able to offer a a, a sacrifice. But rather than having to do it week after week, year after year, he did it once for all time. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. And then as Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews continues, says, not only is he better than the angels and the Torah, than Moses, than all the priests who who fulfill the covenant, who, who do all these things, now he's saying Jesus presents a better covenant. A covenant knowing, because we can't fulfill all of these things. In fact, all of those are really pointing to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, consider this argument that the covenant that Jesus presents is greater than all of the the covenant that Moses brought, than the covenant that you're failing to live now. But then there's one other major argument that he has. And we saw this last week. As he says, consider the faithful witnesses. Consider all these people in the past. Consider all of these as they ran this race of faith. They knew that there was something more. They willingly gave up their lives for the sake of what God was promising in the future. Even in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says he, they didn't all receive the things that God had promised, but they knew something greater was coming and that something greater was Jesus. And so then he comes finally To the point of decision. He comes finally to the chapter that we've considered today. And he basically is asking us this question. Will you run the race? Consider all these things. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish, a Hebrew audience. All of these things were super important to them. They seem a little bit irrelevant to us because we don't don't come from that sacrificial system. But this, essentially, if we think about this line of argument, Jesus is greater than, than the cultural norms that we live in today. Jesus is greater than the ever-shifting standards of, of the laws. We can't, Jesus is greater than all that. He's consistent. He's pure. He's holy. So the question is, will you run the race? Beloved follower of Christ, I, I pray that you and I will be faithful faithful to do all that God has called us to, that faithful to lay aside those trappings that are so easily entangling us. If there are things that are hindering your walk or my walk with God, maybe we need to let those go. But I want to challenge you too, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me, let me back up for a moment. I I know that some of us we might consider ourselves growing or strong believers. We believe, we trusted from an early age. I was five years old when I began to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. That's when I began to run the race. But I really got committed when I was about 12 years old. And for me, that moment of commitment was baptism. was saying, yes, this is what I am identified with. But I know that there are some of us who kind of play the church game. Play the Christian game. We just kind of... We come because it's expected. We come because we kind of like it, but we don't get it all. So the question is for you, will you run the race? Don't play at it. Don't dink around at this run. Get serious in your walk with God. But I know that there are some of us who... Come, maybe we're searching, maybe we're curious, maybe we're thinking, "Hmm," but you don't yet believe. So I want to ask you, will you commit, will you run the race? Amen. But I think there's another group. Some of you guys are here, you don't believe, you don't want to believe. And you're here because you're being nice to those who love you. The call is the same for you. Will you run the race? And, and really, you know, just as any race you might run takes an entrance fee, it takes signing up, it takes jumping in, that, that entrance fee has already been paid by Jesus Christ. So all you have to do is receive it. And the way you receive it is by simply stating, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you, and I know that Christ has paid for that. So I believe by faith. And then at some point in time, at some point in time, there's going kind to of come a time where, when, when you need to go public. You need to go public. And as a follower of Christ, going public is getting baptized. I, have, I think I've mentioned this before. I was about 12 years old when when I was really wrestling with the Holy Spirit. It seems weird. I mean, 12 years... Who does that at 12? I'm not saying I'm anything special, but I hadn't been baptized yet. And I grew up in a tradition where you were saved and then you were baptized. And my parents said, we don't want you to get baptized at 5, 6, 7, 8 until you can clearly understand what you're doing. And so at 12 years old, The Holy Spirit was saying, hey, Joel, it's time. You need to identify with me. And I was like, no, 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 no. If I do that, I'm not going to get cool stuff. I want my toys. I want a cool car. And after a couple months of wrestling, the Holy Spirit finally said, trust me. And you know what? I may not have the coolest cars ever, but I've never been without. God has always provided. So at 12 years old, I said, okay. I'm yours. Whatever you want to do with my future, it's yours. I got baptized around that time and God has been on it just doing marvelous things. So here's the, here's the call to decision I have for you today. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let today be the day of your salvation. I'm going to lead you in a very brief prayer. It's, the prayer is not what saves you, but it becomes a marker place where you can say, yes, this is the day I know I believed. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, maybe today's the day. You say, or if you're not yet been baptized, maybe today's the day you say, I'm ready to go public. Let's walk through the process to confirm what you believe is in your heart. Let the church celebrate that because that's what going public and getting baptized is really all about. So let me ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. For those of you who are not yet followers of Christ who may feel like today is the day that you need to begin to enter into this race of faith. Let me just encourage you to say this prayer, not out loud. You can say it's between you and God. But you can say a prayer like this. It says, Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can never be good enough to enter into this race on my own. And I know that you've already paid from my life with yours I receive and accept your free gift of salvation help me to walk in holiness in Jesus name Amen let me encourage you just keep your eyes closed for a quick moment if you said that prayer would you raise your hand for me if you said that prayer okay those of you guys I know some may, at home may have done that, I want to encourage you to just put a note in the, in the feed or send me an email this week. But I also want to encourage you guys to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. If you've not yet been baptized and you feel like it's time to go public, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Every eye is closed. All right. Let me pray for us. God, we do thank you so much for the challenge before us to run the race. Lord, we know it's a long race. We know that training will be difficult and challenging. We know that you are calling us to something wonderful and beautiful. So, God, I pray that you would help us to run the race faithfully. In holiness, honoring you with all that we have. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.